Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we're splitching, swishing, splashing, schlooking, and splorching our very artistic thoughts upon the canvas of this podcast in the hopes of illuminating the inner beauty and random chaos of Excalibur number 106, A Portrait of the Artist, in which Piotr Rasputin comes out as a big fan of the prodigy. Excalibur number 106 was originally published in February 1997, and the creative team is Ben Robb on writing, Casey Jones, Randy Green, Rob Haynes, and Aaron Lopresti on pencils, Jason Martin, Rob Haynes, Rich Ketchum, Rachel Pinnock, Aaron Lopresti, Tom Simons, and Casey Jones again on inks, Arion Lenshock and Malibu Color on colors, Richard Starkings and Comicraft on letters, and Matt Adielson and Paul Tatrone on editing. Welcome to the Robissance. I hope we all survive the experience. Andrew already hasn't. He's left the pod in protest. I am kidding, though he is away this week. But don't worry, we have a super rad rogues gallery to talk everything Rob and maybe some 90s breakbeat hardcore. We'll see if we get to it. Um, but who are we starting with myself? I am Dr. Anna Papard. You know the drills, sexy, gendery superheroes and public scholarship like sequential scholars, where Andrew and I are probably wrapping up our unit on Mojo Mayhem at the time this episode drops. I am also Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager, and in that capacity, I am urging you to go reread Mojo Mayhem, in which Kurt is a lot more fun than he is in this one. Anyway, moving on. I am joined, as always, by Mav. What's the soundtrack to your artistic spirit this week? You have to hold on. I'm, I'm, I just have to finish drawing you and painting you. <laughs> All right, there. I'm done. This is a masterpiece. Uh, it's the best thing I've ever painted, and I'm never going to show anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, though, it is it is existential. This is a, this is literally I have pushed the, the the bounds of artistic rendering farther than anybody ever has before. I've tried something completely new, but you can't see it. Um, <laughs> thing that happens to this folk. It's a thing that bugs me so much. Hi, my name is Christopher Maverick. You can call me Mav. Um, I am. God, I, I'm on vacation right now. This is um I, I taught summer school. 
this year. So I'm on my abbreviated summer vacation before fall semester starts after having taught all summer. But that's what I'm doing when I'm not being a teacher or a professor at the University of Pittsburgh. I also host another podcast called Vox Popcast, where we talk about different pop culture stuff. And either last week or next week, because I lose track of when episodes are dropping as you listen to this, I'm apparently doing an episode on Sucker Punch, a movie which which I love and think is amazing and i was under the impression that everyone else hated it and then monica my monica friend of our of this pod and my co-host on the other show she wrote a blog about it and about how we were going to talk about it and i realized that far more people have feelings about the movie sucker punch than i ever dreamed because i was Mm. i was pretty sure that fewer people saw the movie sucker punch during its theatrical release than have commented on the blog (laughs) that we that we wrote about it saying that they loved it so i don't know where all those people were but i'm 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 very should be a very interesting conversation so that's what i'm recommending like that's what i'll be doing like i said i I lose track of when episodes come out i think i'm doing that next week as this episode drops for you guys podcast time travel screws me up i can't stand sucker punch and had a viscerally (laughs) negative reaction to it but i really strongly appreciate having alternative takes on movies and i know it is one of those movies that a lot of people do love for their own reasons Mm-hmm. But um, I'll be interested to hear the conversation about it, despite the fact that I will never be rewatching that film. <laughs> oh, Fair enough. Wow. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't want to get on a digression about that, but everybody should go listen to that episode. I know it's going to be amazing. Uh, our reduced numbers are bolstered this week by an extremely exciting returning guest. You might know him as the writer and artist of the comic Bishop Jubes and as the co-host of the Battle of the Atom podcast, which is currently ranked over 800 X-Men stories for great to god-awful across over 300 thrilling episodes. I know him as my Romancy Times guy friend. That's right. We're welcoming back one Adam Wreck. Hello, That was Adam. disgusting. Romancy I'm sorry. Times. I'm that, really, that I'm sounded really gross. sorry. I did not. <laughs> I mean, it sounded cheap. That cheapened it. I don't know. I didn't like that at all. I don't I'm know, sorry. man. I'm not, I'm I not editing it. it out. It's, not, no, it's, not, it's between you two. This is not up to me. I'm just saying <laughs> that was... I, <laughs> hi everybody hey adam hello hi hey adam otherwise known as my boyfriend yes Um, hi what's happening (laughs) hard get getting adam on the show tonight (laughs) really he's super busy he is a hard get i mean this is just like i don't want to say it's a stealth date because he's so hard to get but you know sometimes i am squeezing Yeah, I am squeezing this in between two nights of taking classes. Um, mm-hmm. So before I jump in my cart across the border. So yeah, it's a tight schedule this week. I'm really glad I'm here though, because um, this issue is fascinating to me. Because okay, well, I was going to say, the, the, the listeners and I can leave if it helps. <laughs> no, Mav. We need, no. We, no, no, we no, need no, you. No. We need you here to chaperone, Mav. Oh, yes. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I really wanted to have you back on the pod before we wrapped it up, you know, for obvious reasons that Mm -hmm, I like podcasting mm -hmm. with you and talking X-Men comics with you. But I wasn't planning to have you back quite so soon. And then I read this comic and just saw that first page. And I was like, there's no one in the entire world that I want to hear talk about this. 
more than Adam. <laughs> the specific mix of elements, just you are ideally positioned to talk about. But let's start with some some scene setting. How familiar are you with the Benjamin Rob era of Excalibur, Adam? On Battle of the Atom, we, first of all, we have not ranked that much Excalibur. Doesn't get requested that often by the listeners. And then Sad. I think an added component of that is that it's harder to break down into smaller arcs. So listeners don't always request it as much as they do. Like, I don't know. They seem to be obsessed with making us read Exiles and some other things. Um, but uh, <laughs> we have and, and, talked and pleading, about... And pleading for you to be kind to Exiles, as I recall. Exiles. Also known yes. as Discount Excalibur. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, don't at me. Twitter Twitter barely exists anymore. No one can come at me. I don't even think it. I mean, <laughs> does it exist? It's just this like weird Elon like AI experiment now, I think. But I also think that your show is one of the reasons that we don't get a lot of Excalibur requests is because we hope people are tuning in <laughs> oh, <okay>. and listening <laughs> oh. to your coverage of it. We've covered three Ben Robb issues um 115 which i saw on our list but i have absolutely no recollection of talking about on the show so i don't know when that <laughs> happened um and then we also talked you'll obviously get to all of these but um we also did talk not that long ago about 118 and 119 which is um where nightmare causes there to be sort of like chucky style bath dolls oh, um yeah. that so that was not like the first issue that's kind of fun then the second one it's not 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 as fun um so my main impression of the era in general is just people trash talking it and saying how terrible it is but as for reading it not a lot of experience i feel like it has a certain reputation not unlike i mean on a smaller scale because it was Excalibur, which nobody was reading, but like similar to Chuck Austin X-Men in terms mm. of being kind of wild. And maybe there's something fun about that sometimes, but also just really, really bad. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, rubbernecking I'm the car crash, right? <laughs> I'm predisposed to almost want to be kind to it to go against the grain. But having been rereading it, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to keep that up. But I am getting way, way, way ahead of myself. Um, let's do the issue summary and just get into this comic because I really just want to talk about this opening scene like crazy. I know I know you're going to have a lot of thoughts <laughs> about it, Adam, and I'm sure you will as well, Mav. We get to talk about the meaning of Colossus as an artist, a topic that we haven't really sure. delved into much on this podcast, which sure this comic really gets into in a serious absolutely psychologically realistic and meaningful way so yeah. <laughs> so we'll talk about it okay 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 i didn't write a blurb for doing an issue summary so i'm just gonna do an issue summary because i am not clever enough to come up with those fabulous puns that i do for you on a weekly basis on the spot neither <laughs> was the on book the table. it's mine <laughs> <laughs> Excalibur number 106 opens with Piotr Rasputin, aka Colossus, listening to the prodigy while hurling paint at a canvas, ostensibly to create a portrait of Megan as a gift for Brian. At first, he's worried Megan doesn't like it, but she subsequently assures Piotr that she loves the unseen painting's chaotic energy, which perfectly captures her own chaotic spirit. This artistic reverie is interrupted by a call from Piotr's ex-buddies, the Acolytes. Apparently, they've reformed the team under the leadership of Exodus and want Piotr to rejoin them. Piotr has mixed feelings about this invitation, but 
everyone agrees they should investigate. One of Brian's satellites, which is apparently a thing he has now, uh, detects the Acolytes have temporarily set up base at the X-Men's old headquarters in the Australian outback, so Colossus, Kurt, Kitty, Pete Wisdom, and Rain set off for Down Under. When they arrive, mines and electromagnetic fields prevent them from entering the complex, but Piotr, wanting to make amends for the pain his past affection to the Acolytes has caused his current teammates, says he'll clear the minefield on his own. Inside the base, he finds the Acolyte members Scanner and Eunice. How are we pronouncing this? Somebody help me. It's Eunice's sister. Just say Eunice's sister. It's, okay, it's Eunice I believe. It's how it's how it's supposed Unisconi. to be. But like mm-hmm. even even back then, she's the sister of Eunice the Untouchable, who is a older character that like someone thought, hey, what if we had a girl version? We'll just say it's his sister. And other than that, she has no background whatsoever. She is just See, his actually. Sister. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm come in and I'm actually oh, really? actually Eunice's daughter. Oh, is his daughter? It's See, his daughter. I yes. didn't even remember that. <laughs> oh, well, it's... <laughs> I didn't is, even remember with a relationship. She that is no never... I don't think it is never said. It is implied, but I don't think it is ever wow. said. Because okay, they have the fine. same power set. Yes. But we can get into that later. Okay. Oh my god. All right. Um, <laughs> these two acolyte members pitch Piotr on their new venture. Piotr isn't interested, and Scanner has her doubts, but it isn't enough. Unisconi pulls Scanner back to her side before Piotr can turn her to his, and warns Piotr that the next time they meet, it will be as enemies. Upon returning to the Midnight Runner, Colossus is reluctant to tell his teammates what happened at the base, but Pete Wisdom, in a rare bout of empathy, tells him that facing one's own mistakes is hard, and that if even an obstinate Ukrainian like Piotr can do it. <laughs> Maybe there's hope for the other acolytes. Piotr is Ukrainian now, in case Barely. Um, you were yeah. following <laughs> that, that along gonna, at home. I was going to comment on that toward that was going to be my um, my ending thought, but we'll 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 get to it, yes. <laughs> wow. Were, were the two of us googling like the political history of Russia and Ukraine to see if that had any <laughs> basis in fact before this podcast? <laughs> Possibly doing way more work than this comic did. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's get right into first impressions. Adam, I said that I wanted to hear your thoughts about this issue more than anything in the world. Do my reasons for wanting to hear your thoughts about this more than anything in the world resonate with you? Does this comic resonate with you? I had never read this issue. Amazing. And when you told me we, you wanted me to talk about it, I opened it up. And as you said, it is Colossus in overalls doing <laughs> abstract expressionist painting which is one of my favorite styles and, and, you know, periods of painting. And he's listening to, of all things, <laughs> Prodigy's Firestart. Now, I do have to also issue a correction. You said it was by The Prodigy. Now, this is this is Prodigy's third album, and they did drop the The. Oh, my goodness. Okay. They're, they're just they, they, they wanted to be, you know, taken a little bit more seriously. And, <laughs> um, you know, they kind of went from Happy House into, like, almost Nine Inch Nails territory with this yes. album, um, Fat of the Land. So this is just a ridiculous scene for a couple of reasons. One, Colossus is using a wide variety of art making implements, brushes, <laughs> sponges, a broom, Brooms. his hand, <laughs> um, his metal hand mm-hmm. to slosh paint across a giant canvas on the wall, which technique wise, I think very strange, you know, but OK, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so you could probably take issue with the actual like painting of this painting. 
right? But I think what's what's more in question for me, I have two main questions about this scene. One, is it in character for Peter to actually paint this way? And I think the answer is no, explicitly, because we've never seen him character-wise or artistically express himself any way other than in a traditional manner. And then two, the other question is, would Colossus listen to Fat of the Land, an album that starts with <laughs> the song Smack My Bitch Up? And I think the answer to that question is also very much no. I don't think Colossus would ever listen to this song or this music. And I don't think he would ever do a portrait of Megan for Brian for their wedding in the style of Franz Klein or Willem de Kooning. None of these things make sense. So this is very entertaining. <laughs> it's so much. Really uh, other first impressions of this issue or were you just caught up with that opening scene? I want to talk more um, about the opening scene. Okay, so other first impression is, um, as you, you heard me jump in on Unisconi, mm -hmm. um, I do have a certain like demented love for all of the like expansive and bizarrely large villain teams of the nineties. Mm -hmm. There's so many of them, you know, you've got mm -hmm. your dark riders, you've got your nasty boys, you've got your acolytes. And every time one of these teams shows up, especially the acolytes, there's like two more of them. And <laughs> so many, right? Like I, I looked MLF up last issue, by the way, we're just, we're just coming from another one of those teams. The yeah. MLF, a team that is functionally identical to the, to the acolytes. Like I defy you to, without looking it up to remember which, which minor units are on which team. Exactly. Like you could <laughs> just totally just make up some words and put them in and they'd be on the MLF. Right. And so like scanner, uh, her first appearance is actually like in an Avengers issue, but her name is actually seeker, but they forget get that so then they call her scanner and oh boy so whenever the acolytes pop up there is a part of my brain that's like oh man these guys are silly you know this is gonna be fun and it isn't here but i do still have like a soft spot for them <laughs> It is but it, I, but... that is my other like first impression is just i think given the the history of the show and your your project here i really do have to apologize to you because at this point your book is no longer excalibur no. this is an x-men comic that we're reading today and x-men tier four yes yeah yeah so I, I do feel bad about that okay that was those were mine first impressions yeah i right before we recorded i said to adam listen i don't know my 90s x-men comics i didn't grow up with this shit it's a hard sell to get me to go back and reread it as a 39 year old woman so you're just gonna have to accept that this is a gap in my knowledge but thankfully we can have different specializations and you can fill in this backstory for me without <laughs> me having to read it so i appreciate that every relationship sure. is give and take absolutely um, <laughs> Anyway, put on Mav, this earth for one reason. <laughs> <laughs> Mav, how are you feeling about this one? I'm so curious to hear your thoughts. My thoughts. Um, <laughs> I think it was a mistake for Prodigy to get rid of the word the. Mm. And I'll tell you what. See, I uh, do too. Uh, it's way cooler <laughs> I, now, with the Now, now I, I, will, I will argue that this was quite possibly the best album. However, I believe the band name is stronger by calling themselves the Prodigy rather than just Prodigy. I think, it, I think Prodigy sounds 
too much like a band, whereas The Prodigy has just enough pretentiousness to like sort of say, we're doing something different. We're taking a stand. We are The Prodigy. Do we have enough time to go talk about the book? No, I think we, we could just be done now. <laughs> are, are we out of time? Absolutely not. Absolutely oh, not. Okay. Um, okay. I, what Adam was just saying, we are out of Excalibur comics. If I mean, yes, I, I get that we're an Excalibur podcast and I appreciate our listeners. I hope you stick with us for the rest of the series run. But I, I just, we have to level with you. The comic Excalibur is over. And it's not coming back. This is what this book is now. It's a continuous stream of just trying to find a creative team that can make the fourth tier X team work. And they don't understand that no one who actually likes this book was reading it because it was a fourth tier X team. So, Mm. I mean, there's a reason because it comes in next issue. But for all intents and purposes, Megan and Brian, after Brian discovers the thing that they have to do a mission on, Brian's the one who notices. Brian's like, hey, we have a thing that we have to check out. And then he and Megan are busy, mostly just because they didn't want to deal with them for the story. (laughs) That's the reason. It's like, oh, Brian and Megan had to go do. They don't even leave on panel. There's no, (laughs) there's not even a, hey, I've got to go take care of a very important personal matter. It's just like they're gone now because I don't care. And and that's how it feels. One of my big complaints about this is why is Piotr afraid to go back to the Acolytes? Why did Piotr leave the Acolytes? Does anybody know? No, no one knows because Piotr left the Acolytes because the creative team changed because there was a new writer and the new writer didn't want him to be on the Acolytes. New writer wanted Piotr in in Excalibur. So he just leaves and goes to Excalibur. That's about how much thought is put through it because he he leaves the X-Men because he can no longer abide by Charles's dream, especially without Ileana. So he leaves and then he goes to the Acolytes and then they do the story where it's like, well, maybe he was a little crazy. So we'll fix that. He's not crazy anymore. He's just going to be an Acolyte. And then he's like, Nah, I'm not. But that writer's gone now, too. There's so much afterthought here that it's hard to take any of it seriously. I don't hate this book. I don't love it. It's entirely forgettable. Nothing matters. Nothing in this matters. It's going nowhere. They did not do any research into past characters, past stories, um, the geography of the planet Earth. There are so many issues. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There are so many issues. Even the geography of the the Australian outback uh, Reavers base, there's some real weirdness there. Um, How are the, there are landmines here. So there are landmines here that are somehow going to stop Kitty Pride, a person whose power is to be intangible and intangible and therefore cannot activate a landmine. And even if she did, she doesn't care because she's intangible. But apparently the Acolytes got in no problem. (laughs) It makes uh, no sense makes that no there sense. is this you know, field of, of landmines. Why None. are the land why the landmines weren't there in the original stories? I know because I read them. Never came up. But why why are there landmines? Well, we were trying to protect the base from anybody, and we did not have the DNA samples of Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler and Kurt, Kurt, uh, yeah. and Kurt Wagner, people that we've known for years. We didn't have those. We didn't have access to Cerebro to just look up their DNA. What are you talking about? None of this makes any sense. No, then, it's just but generic. They have, they have Colossus's DNA, but that doesn't affect the mines because they still explode on him, but they right. hurt him less heavy. than they would hurt. It just 
No, he's have yeah, he's I guess he's activating them the old fashioned way by stepping on them, whereas Kitty would just activate them with her DNA. Look, we wanted to draw classes running through a minefield, okay? It was cool. And that's how much thought is put into it. And it's it's infuriating, not because it's bad, because again, it's not the worst comic I've ever read. It's not even the worst Excalibur comic that I've ever read in the last month. It's just that it's so lazy. Mm. <laughs> and it could be so much better. Like there are like if you're if you're talking about the fact that Piotr Rasputin is coming to terms with mistakes he's made, questions about what does he actually believe, questions about, wait, the Acolytes aren't really villains. I still have relationships with these people. Uh, you know, we, we just have a different outlook. We have different ways of seeing things. We have legitimate ideological differences in our point of view that means that we can have a real discussion that is not punchy, punchy, punchy. It's just an ideological meaning of minds and an agreement to disagree. Those are the kinds of superhero stories that I love. I love when people have a discussion over baseball or over a, over a dinner, Chinese food dinner. This is not that. This wants to be that. But the execution is just haphazard and stupid. And I, and I don't know why. I don't know why any of this was done because I read this book two hours ago and I don't remember half of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's the problem. Like, yeah. it's, I mean, I, it's, it's so forgettable and pointless. Totally fair. Well, there's so many like little things throughout it. I mean, I already mentioned like the Colossus B Ukrainian line. And then we've talked in depth on the pod previously about Colossus's cutout pants. The design of the cutout pants changes throughout this issue. Like sometimes they're cut out on the outside and sometimes they're cut out on the inside. And like, mm -hmm. we have a ton of inkers and artists on this book. So like, whatever, but it's just those little things that really emphasize this being like a filler issue that nobody gives a shit about because <laughs> they don't even care to get his costume right page to page. Well, just can we talk about the, the Ukraine? Ukrainian thing. Oh, sure. so okay. We so, can, but Piotr, wait, wait, wait. Before we get no, to no, it, I just, it. Okay. I, I just have to say, like, really quickly, like, just with Colossus's motivations, though, I do find the fact that his motivations and fatal attractions making no sense is like officially sort of explained as just him having brain damage, so that they didn't have to explain <laughs> like <laughs> right. his motivations, which like came up Listen, in Excalibur in the issue when he comes back. So his motivations anyway, do make sense, you know he is they do over the course over the course of you know a couple of I, it doesn't take long for his entire family in siberia mm -hmm, to get executed mm -hmm. and then sure. for his and then for his little sister to be to be killed by the legacy virus right yeah so yes. the problem is that colossus as the tragic artist it goes on for so so long like the legacy virus i think is around for close to 10 years of x-men continuity and when colossus dies to like i guess cure the Spoilers, legacy virus it's, it's not going to happen in this book so yes that's that's exactly what yeah he sacrifices himself yeah. in order to spread somehow you can immunize all mutants by just um, by just killing injecting colossus, colossus and, and opting to die <laughs> right it's a really weird like you know mm -hmm. a messianic moment that makes no sense but they just drag this 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 feeling this emotion this mopey artist thing out for him like it's his only beat for way too long you know so mav you wanted to talk ukraine okay piotr rasputin and his entire family are canonically from i can't speak russian so please forgive the pronunciation 
but they're from Lake Baikal, which is in the Ust-Ordinsky collective mm -hmm. in Russia. It is, depending on where you're talking about in Ukraine, because I understand what they're doing. They're trying to give him character by saying, hey, maybe he is, you know, from the Ukraine part of the Soviet Union, because the Soviet Union was huge. And the Soviet Union, at the time of this book, it had fallen, but, you know, it had been less than a decade. So I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to say, hey, you know, maybe he's got a complicated history with these provinces that have become their own countries and are weird and and this is all fine except that like i bothered to look in a map so i know <laughs> that lake baikal is roughly six thousand kilometers yep. four thousand miles <laughs> it's in siberia thousand miles from from lake baikal <laughs> to ukraine it's one and a half times the size of the United States. Yeah. It's more than driving all the way across Canada. Like <laughs> if you drove from the eastern shore of Canada to the western shore of Canada, you're still not as far <laughs> as, as Colossus grew up from Ukraine. It's nowhere near it. And I, I am not a geography whiz. If you like my wife and I watch Jeopardy every night. And if you watch me watch us play, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty bright guy. I'm really good at trivia. But if you play trivia against me and you see me answer a geography question, you'll quickly learn that I am not a geography whiz. However, I can read a map mm -hmm. and I know how far 4,000 miles <laughs> is. And like just the lazy because when i when i read that line i'm just like well that can't be right i don't know and, and, and i and my and my thoughts were my original my initial thoughts were well i know i'm bad at geography clearly ukraine's closer i mean even with the war in ukraine which was not going on back then but you know so like so i see ukraine on television all the time because of the war and i'm like wow ukraine must be way closer to siberia than i thought no it's not no it's not <laughs> it's literally on the other side of the world it's not. So, it's so then the question becomes, is Ben Rob in writing that line, trying to say that Pete Wisdom is dumb or was he just dumb and wrote the line? No, Pete Wisdom is uh, because it, it could be. But Pete Wisdom is an international spy. Pete Wisdom <laughs> knows geography better than I do. I mean, it could be that like Pete Wisdom is being mean because Pete Wisdom's not above being mean, right? Like I could see Pete Wisdom being the kind of guy that just like, I, I don't know, like Anna's from Canada. So it'd be like, ah, oh, you know, all of you Canadians, you're all from Montreal. Like what, like what <laughs> the joke makes no sense. Okay. It literally is like, it doesn't work as a joke. And it happens at a point where Pete Wisdom is trying to be a friend and comforting. Right. So like the joke in context makes no sense and yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. mean enough to like be mean it's it's gotta be a mistake because it's it's so weird and random and the character of pete wisdom should know geography better than i do it's the same kind of like why don't we see colossus's painting because no one wanted to like show an artwork that was supposed to be transcendental and and you know amazing oh, very thankful take, yeah. we did not right. see that very thankful right. but that's what it is but instead so instead they took the hit here they're gonna they're just going to impress us with their non-knowledge of the geography of the former Soviet Union. I, ha I have a random, very specific to me comparison for it, which is mm. in Man from Uncle, one of the greatest television shows of all time. They do this with the character of Ilya Kuryakin, who is, you know, 
a very, you know, iconically, stereotypically Russian character. And then mm-hmm. very little is known about his backstory. But there's a line in one episode where he's like being subject to mind control, where it's suggested he's actually born in Kiev, which like adds like a whole layer to like, you know, was mm. he like assimilated into this role and everything. And I was like, see, that's a good <laughs> dropping of are you actually Ukrainian? <laughs> Not so much uh, this one. But anyway, I want to talk more about Colossus as an artist because I don't know. When I encounter people that are sympathetic to Piotr Rasputin on the interwebs, I feel like I'm there's this. I, I like the character, but like mm. I feel like people who are sympathetic to the character sometimes have this take on him like, oh, he's this gentle giant. He's got this artistic oh, no, no. soul. Like he's trying to get pulled away from this all the time. And I can see that sort of as a reading of the character, not my reading of the character, because I think the character is much more selfish and a lot of toxic masculinity with this character that bothers me, which I think is interesting in terms of stories, but like in terms of me, like liking him as a person, always going to be a barrier for me. But yeah, I don't know. I wanted to talk about that a little bit about it, kind of what it does for him as a character. Because Adam, you already said like this tortured artist thing with him goes on for way too long and is way too played out as a trope, but like... I don't know. Do you find anything interesting about that being an aspect of Colossus's character? I I I like Colossus as a character, but he is deeply flawed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in his actions, in the things that he does, and the things that he mm-hmm. pursues. But I feel like there's always that aspect that there is this. What I I like about I mean, there's that great classic X Men backup where he mm-hmm. is drawing on the boardwalk which i always think about there are those random scenes in uh the australian era where he's like you know using psylocke as a model and she's you know clearly trying to sleep with him yes oh uh, sure yep <laughs> mm-hmm. there's there's always that aspect of it too and then when you get to I'm trying to think is it fatal attractions where he burns all of his paintings i'm trying to remember when that happens that did but, come up in conversation recently and I think it is in Fatal Attractions because I actually think I tweeted out that panel at one point. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Adam Hughes who draws that scene. Um, but I, I could be mistaken. But I do think it's an interesting thing for a comic which is drawn by people to have a character who is an artist who likes to paint and likes to draw, you know, because you don't get that many characters who are quote unquote artists, right? you got Dazzler, who's a pop star. She's a singer. Captain but America. You, Captain America, yeah. I was just going to say. Yeah. yeah. Steve Rogers. Yeah. Steve Rogers is a, is an artist. Um, That's true. Briefly, briefly the artist on the Captain America comic book in our <laughs> universe. Yeah. Yeah. But in the, even in the X-Men, there's not like a a good, at least that I can Mm -hmm. think of a a solid comparison there. So it does make him unique, but unfortunately it kind of becomes his like one beat. Even when you get to later series, like the, the mini series where he finds out that he's literally related to Rasputin. Um, He's he still doing yes. he's mm-hmm. still doing the mopey I'm going to paint in my bedroom thing. And that's why I, I know a lot of people are hard on what Percy has been doing with the character. But I at least think that Percy is like trying to grow the character in a new and interesting way. You're talking about the current, you're talking about the current series. The, yes. The yeah. What I he's agree. been doing with him in X-Force. Mm-hmm. I agree. So those are my thoughts in terms of his, I want to say non-evolution, because he is at his core a very immature yes person he is stuck in that like late teens early 20s mindset and you know some writers understand that and some don't there's a caveat for it he is and 
when and it's, it's always weird to say this because you know who's to say what's correct but in my mind when colossus is written correctly he is in that stunted growth and he is not aware of it mm-hmm. he believes so here's where where i differ with anna i i think you are correct on some people's reads of colossus and they're wanting to reclaim him and say oh no no it's because of this and because of this i think they're excuses and i think they're the excuses that that colossus would make what i think is yes. very evident in the current <laughs> krakoan version of the character but also i would say when he comes back to Excalibur and beats the crap out of Pete Wisdom. I like that story. I like the point where Nightcrawler says, you're a child. I've thought of you as a child for a long time. Because what Colossus is, is Colossus is the sensitive artist who, because he is a sensitive artist and because he is creative, and I'm willing to give him that he's creative and talented and that he is a brooding sensitive artist who legitimate bad things have happened to. He has lost his entire family in a he is a very family oriented character who has lost his entire family and the love of his life you know in his mind in a relatively short period of time so he's got no safety net and what he's doing is he's withdrawing into his art and he's saying i am an artist this is where i will pour my tortured soul because he is married to this trope of the tortured artist which is to say he's aware of the tortured the tortured artist trope and he is embodying that and i know a lot of, i went to art school i know a lot of people who want to live that life right um <laughs> either as either as artists or often as musicians and i think that you know there's a reason that he's listening to prodigy right <laughs> like this is part of the gimmick and he's like oh i'm not doing representational painting anymore i'm trying something new like that's what he's doing and i find that to be an interesting way of doing the character where this falls apart is that this particular issue also happens to suck and be boring so so like it doesn't go anywhere right but i think that i think it's an interesting take that you can make if you've got a character who you know what, what what makes peter interesting is that he is so wrapped up in his own bullshit and is not aware that he's so wrapped up in his own bullshit until someone usually kurt or kitty has to point out to him look dumbass we love you but here's what's going on Hmm. And then he figures it out until tomorrow when he makes the same mistake again. And I've seen people in real life do that. And I think if you write the character as someone who has trouble getting past that, because he doesn't want to be, you know, he doesn't want to be the big brooding. He doesn't want to be the big, massive brick of a character. He wants to be the sensitive artist. And he's so wrapped up in being the sensitive artist that he, you know, he misses the forest for the trees, right? Like, that's just that's who he is but i'm not claiming that this is a good version of that i i think that's what it's trying to do but then it's also trying to do that he is insightful enough at the same time to be able to have this ideological conversation with quote unquote villains where the rest of excalibur <laughs> isn't like the, like i don't know why the acolytes are even villains because <laughs> i mean what they're doing is they're hanging out at a base that by the way doesn't also also doesn't belong to the x-men the x-men stole it from the reavers it's not like you don't own this spot (laughs) like it's just what's really funny about it too is Mm -hmm. that the acolytes aren't actually using it as their base it doesn't no they're just hanging out there no they were just there to because they 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 thought colossus would show up i mean like It's it's so weird it's so weird and because nothing's thought out about it other than look we're just we're just desperately trying to tie this to the part of the x universe that other people care about because 
the Excalibur fans, I wasn't good enough, apparently. <laughs> like, that was the problem, right? Like, I was still reading Excalibur. I want to see, you know, these simple little stories about these people hanging out in London. And they wanted to say, hey, no, you want to be part of crossovers. And I'm like, not really. <laughs> there is a, a huge missed opportunity here, too, because the reason that the Acolytes are in Australia is because after the fall of Avalon, Cyclops saved them. Mm -hmm. And turns out they were in the Outback. They were in the area of the old base. So there's a missed opportunity here. Like, you know, normally you're, if you're going to do just even a bad comic book, right? Shouldn't there be a punch him up at some point here where the Excalibur team gets jumped by the Acolytes and they have to fight him off at least for a couple pages. But instead, you get this very dull conversation with two characters who nobody knows, right? Nobody knows who they are. And then they just leave. And you're like, okay, like we didn't even right. get to see Exodus. Like, what are we doing here? I'm okay with doing that, except that it's not good, right? Like if you have a story where a fight happens and rather than run through the minefield, you have, oh my God, Kitty and Rain and Kurt have to like, you know, we're punching first, ask, asking questions later. Those are the acolytes. They're bad guys. Let's go fight. And then Piotr just pulls aside his friend Scanner and says, look, let's just talk this out and figure out what's going on. Then that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happens. No. <laughs> and, you know, like it's, it's putting too much of this on Peter. So like there's just nothing here. And then at the end, it's like they disagreed, but I'm not really sure on what. <laughs> like I really don't. I mean, I don't understand where the acolytes went. They're just like, oh, you're not joining us. OK, bye. Yeah. Well, well the ideological conflict is basically reducible to, well, we're going to follow a power hungry tyrant who mind controls people. And Colossus is like, maybe that's not a good idea. And they're like, no, we think it is a good idea. So, I mean, I don't really know how that's ideological so much as no, clearly a bad idea. <laughs> Right. But but the book wants us to buy into it that, yeah, that it is like the, the book wants us to buy into the the old longstanding. There's the Xavier version of the dream yeah, and there's yeah, yeah, the Magneto version of the dream. And which one do you want to follow? That's interesting. But Exodus isn't Magneto. Like Exodus's whole thing is that I'm not Magneto. I'm just an evil bad guy. That's like that's generically his motivation. It's what makes him uninteresting. Right. Is that he's like, I don't want to follow this. I'm what power. And so Colossus is just right and the acolytes are just stupid and since it's also not as adam just pointed out these are characters that it's not just that anna doesn't know them because she wasn't reading comics no one cared about these people then no <laughs> like no. no there's nobody who's a fan of seeker or scanner no <laughs> like, that's nobody. why every time they introduced the the acolytes back in there were more of them because you didn't remember who was on the team to begin with, right. right? There were maybe three of them that were remarkable or had a toy and, you know, they didn't always come back. So, you know, you get these weird characters like the Kleinstock brothers or, or um, <laughs> who's the guy? Oh, Senyaka, you know, and it's just like, God, who, you're remembering more than I can. Who are these guys? I, you know, I, I do this for a living. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's embarrassing. Um <laughs> <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I mean, um, we just did not too long ago the Blood Ties crossover, X-Men uh, mm -hmm. Avengers for the 30, or what is that? The, that's the 30th anniversary, right? And mm -hmm. like in that story, Exodus literally holds all of Genosha hostage and is threatening to crush it to death, you know? And it's just like, he's just, like you said, the evil muhaha, you know, supervillain. And these acolytes are just like, oh yeah, well, we're going to go follow that guy. He's great. You know, but 
I don't know. There's no depth here. There's nothing really of interest um, in terms of the the ideological differences because there's no ideology. I want to get back a little bit to the Colossus as artist thing in the sense that I am very interested in the choice to have him painting in an abstract expressionist style because it's interesting in a variety of ways, right? Like that's such an identifiable quote unquote high art style, Mm -hmm. both in terms of like being one of the high art styles that got ridiculed a lot in the mainstream press as like Mm -hmm. my child can do that that kind of thing which is how you know it's Mm -hmm. really capital h high art (laughs) (laughs) also the choice the choice to do that within a comic book a traditionally low art and this is the contextualization of what it means to be an artist in this space and that's just an interesting juxtaposition to me like i do find it interesting the idea of having a character who's an artist within a visual media and yet choosing this particular mode of expression as the serious way of doing art and yet depicting it in such a comical fashion. I don't know if any of that is intentional, but I was hung up on it a little bit. But I am going to ask you, Adam, to put on your art teacher hat and tell us a little bit about abstract expressionism. Like, why is this an interesting choice for Colossus? Like, what was the school of art known as abstract expressionism? What were the themes of that movement? Give us a lesson. Okay, so abstract expressionism is essentially art that is moving away from representation, right? So we are going into abstraction in kind of a new way that is much more about the materials, about the movement. You know, famously, you have Pollock who is rolling out these giant Mm -hmm. sheets of canvas and rhythmically moving paint across the surface in these patterns. Sometimes Um, with bodily fluids. (laughs) All kinds of weird stuff, right? Like, and, and, you know, you have people like Franz Klein, de Kooning, uh, Helen, um, why is her last name? Frankenthal, you know, that are all depicting things much more about pushing the paint around in in very you know sort of physical ways than would have been possible previous you know Mm -hmm. and it looked so radical that people really looked at it and went yeah this looks like the scrawlings of a child but you know it really was a boundary pushing movement that that did focus on what painting was really capable of right in terms of composition in terms of it's uh, even kind of sculptural form if you will you know if you look at the surfaces of some of these paintings which is all to say that it is a very bizarre choice for i mentioned how colossus has always been a represent you know uh, an artist who's using uh, representation in his work he's mainly seen doing figures and portraits he is even in this scene despite he's his using the technique of an abstract expressionist artist he is still doing a portrait of megan which disqualifies it from even being abstract expressionism to begin with because you know the closest person who kind of did that was de kooning but he was really just kind of like demolishing the figure in a a lot of ways why in the world would brian want a let's say it looks like a de kooning at the end of the day why in the world would brian unwrap the de kooning at the at the you know the the marriage the the wedding ceremony and be like wow yep this is going in the this is going above the the mantle at braddock manor like no absolutely not he wouldn't he wouldn't but it's okay for the story can work if megan thinks this is beautiful 
and Brian doesn't. But that's not what's happening here, right? It's also, <laughs> okay, if you've never heard of abstract expressionism before, but you listen to Adam explain it for five minutes, you now know more about it than this book does. <laughs> because, <laughs> and because, like, for, for... Piotr to be this into like I'm actually okay with him experimenting as an artist one thing that an artist might do is say okay my world is falling apart I have lost my girlfriend I have lost my sister I have lost my parents I am going to escape into my art and I'm going to do some angry art and I'm going to do some different things I'm okay with all that and if that happens then your first response is not you hate it because it's not representational it doesn't imitate life well enough like he's embarrassed by it which is counter to the entire point that he was going for if we are to take seriously that he knows what he's doing mm -hmm. which makes me think that just the writers and artists creating the book didn't think this through it is talked about you know as though so this book comes out in 1997 so yeah it's really great that he is trying this brand new experimental form from the 1940s jackson <laughs> pollock died in 1956 okay excellent <laughs> like, point like, like this is not it's not groundbreaking it's just weird like yes i get that there are people who go to moma museum of modern art and say well i could do that my two-year-old could do that blah, and they're not art and I, I get that those people exist and they don't know what they're talking about but colossus isn't one of them and i don't think megan's one of them but who knows what megan's i mean andrew would point out that her character changes every comic so it doesn't matter but like if he's doing this thing if he's trying to experiment with this form that's okay but it's not innovative it's not it's not poorly regarded by the art world anymore and it hasn't been in decades by the time this book comes out right yeah yeah so it's but it's weird. the kind of school of art that you go back to to shorthand fine art because mm. it, again it's like from an era in which sort of stories about fine artists were still in the mainstream right. press in a way that they really weren't by 1997 it's like sort right. of like the last era i mean pop art after that was like the last era in which that was kind of true so i find mm -hmm. it makes sense for somebody to go back to that as a shorthand of like here's someone doing high art <laughs> but like not in conversation with the high art of 1997 but just right. going back to like a generic understanding of what high art might be there's also a i don't want to say mistaken but there's an assumption that there is an anger that permeates mm. through the abstract expressionist because people assume mm -hmm. that to move to make these paintings in the way that they are that the artists must have had you know some kind of aggression and it's not to say that that couldn't have been present or wasn't part of the art making process but what's being depicted here is someone listening to an angry song of the 90s right and painting in a way that is putting his trauma on the canvas you know and embodying again, his trauma like yes did Piotr's brother get sucked into an alternate dimension with all the morlocks Sure did, but <laughs> is that when that happens? <laughs> yeah, is that the is that then going to make Piotr as the character that we know him so far break out like Nine Inch Nails broken and crank it to eleven? Like, did Piotr go goth? Did Piotr go industrial? Like, because. <laughs> <laughs> all this stuff like 
I don't buy into that aspect. Like, I, you know? I, I don't either. But like you brought up, you're like brushing up against some of the gender stuff of it, though, because abstract expressionism is often associated with being a very like masculinist art Absolutely. movement, which, you yes. know, I mean, it's funny because I mean, there were people like Lee Krasner, you know, Mary DePollock, who was like an absolutely fabulous artist as well. And I mean, you mentioned women in your list as well, but still like the specific nature of like embodying yourself through your art was a very like phallic notion in terms of how it was presented intellectually and mm -hmm. so for Piotr to be going to this particular art school in the context that it's presented here because this is where we are seeding the Colossus Megan flirtation mm. that is going to be a through line of the rest of this book and I wanted to spotlight the last panel of the painting sequence which is the panel for one thing I mean I just have to say it's a very damp it's a very wet it's a very very moist sequence a lot of focus on his hands and in the last panel and again keep in mind he's doing the painting of Megan and like this is a call back to him doing the painting of Psylocke which was a highly sexualized scene so all of that context is coming into this scene and in the last panel where he's dipping his metal hand into the paint it has the line about his 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 family line continuing the Rasputin family heritage need not end with him and then we find out he's doing a painting of Megan. So there's an allusion to reproduction and how he wants a family and how he wants to get laid and like that being a context <laughs> of this as well. Like I'm doing a lot of work to make this work, but still there is like a gender aspect of that that I found mm -hmm. interesting. It's, it's and not out of step there. and not out of step with sort of the masculinity of Colossus and the toxic masculinity that we've talked about before, which is rooted in his naivete, right? So I think that there's a way you could have done this that would make sense. This is not that. <laughs> no. I yeah, I we have I done so much more thought of, about yeah. this than right. <laughs> this comic. Did. I I agree it's there. I quibble with your usage of the word interesting. Yes. <laughs> That's fair. Not That's interesting. Fair. <laughs> it's a thing that is on the page and I mean, All it's right. something that could be interesting. <laughs> yes. Sure. Potential. It's it's also <laughs> something that's difficult to take particularly seriously in any way only because the way in which this art was like hastily assembled with this you know crack team of like six pencilers six inkers many hands <laughs> i don't even i think the art actually hands. looks kind of interesting on some of the pages you know you're getting this very almost caricature-esque look of some of these characters depending on who's doing which page mm. but it also very much looks rushed and sloppy um in parts so you know you really do get the feeling that this is a fill-in issue Issues. So how much am I supposed to be taking any of this? You know, am I supposed to be investigating at all? I, I don't know. I'm probably just going to breeze through this one. And nothing exemplifies that better than the two pages of Moira saying an email out loud in a thought bubble. And then... <laughs> And then we read the same email word for word on her oh, screen. So good. I, I, I applaud the letterer for actually getting the words exactly right. My God. <laughs> She's emailing Professor X post onslaught. And then the email inbox is no longer there. So it deletes the email that she spent the entire first page composing. It is. I laughed out loud. It just like... <laughs> so dumb that's so a perfect dumb. metaphor for the entire comic and the pointlessness of this story it was all written out only to be <sighs> forgotten <laughs> yeah i have a question yeah who yes. deleted chuck's email account like and why i mean i get i mean i guess like you know, I, I, maybe I mean, hank like, 
I mean, it, it, it didn't what matter. Kind of, what we kind were... of setup were they rocking back then? Did they have their own yeah. internet? Was this like AOL no, canceled no. the account due to non-use? No, you, I mean, it's 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 1997. I owned I owned a domain by 1997. You can you could do this. You could have your own email server. Um, someone has to be in charge of doing that. I guess Hank maybe or Kitty. Someone apparently deleted Chuck's email um, server and archived it. That's wow. it, it doesn't affect the story. It just makes me wonder who did that. <laughs> you know, you know what it could have been. It it might not have been AOL. It might have been you know the online service known as Prodigy. Oh, okay. <laughs> by 97 probably not by 97 yeah. Pro- prodigy's probably i mean was an early like one. they're not right in in 97 there's enough of an internet that there are high schools that are on the internet but so i got my first i got my first email account in 1990 my first internet account in oh, 1990 wow. that's early. yeah i was in college and regularly on the internet by 1992 i had a free net account in high school in 1990 there are some high schools that have internet by the mid 90s not all of them but my presumption would be that the prestigious xavier institute would have a dot edu address that um Mm. that professor xavier would have have access to there were because there were there were high schoolers that had there were high schools that had internet by night by by this point in the 90s so if any high schools in the real world have it I would assume that the, you know, that Charles Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. Does You'd think happen. they'd have like Shi'ar internet, you know? Sure. Like advanced Macron crystal fiber or something. Right. But they at least, <laughs> but they at least, but they at least have, you know, they at least have their own email server. I assume that there is a, you know, Professor Xavier at Xavier.edu. Available. Oh my God. <laughs> so I Onslaught definitely had internet the by the time I was like, by the early 90s when I was like in what the Americans call middle school. And... I definitely had a dumb website dedicated to the hijinks of me and my friends. And also, um, my father had a little website of his own, which 100% was called Lloyd's Park in the Jurassic Park font. Yes. And I will always remember that. The most Um, wonderful, period-specific dated thing ever. He should bring it back. Um, Anyway, let's go to some final thoughts. <laughs> I don't know what was on the Lloyd's Park site, <laughs> but I remember him being very proud of it. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, let's go to some final thoughts. Anything from this issue we want to circle back to? Or I cannot believe that we've talked about this issue with just the three of us for an hour and two minutes already. <laughs> but if we have on. any, there. I mean, I knew you'd have thoughts, Adam. So I am. I am not displeased. Yeah, let's go to some final thoughts, though. Mav, anything that you want to circle back to or bring up that we didn't get a chance to talk about? We did didn't talk about like most of this comic book so no, there are no, particular moments um, yeah there is there is a particular moment that um well Great. so uh, so or- originally it was going to be my main final bot that i didn't think we'd get to just because it bothered me so much was going to be the distance between ukraine and um and lake baikal we but, spent a like, lot of time we, on that since we did talk about that <laughs> i did take the liberty of preparing a backup final bot um Great. And, this is, and, and this is um this is something that has happened it, it has occurred in other issues of this series as well though it very specifically almost calls attention to itself in this issue now last issue i pointed out that um there's a definite scene where kitty tells rain to make sure she uses her image inducer and i'm like rain can just turn into a regular human girl why is she mm. why does she need an image inducer this makes mm-hmm. no sense but here she's i mean maybe she's just more comfortable being a wolf girl and i'm fine with that that's actually i mean sure if you've got superpowers why would you ever not use them that makes sense but like there's the point where she turns off her powers in order to sort of entice Piotr 
Hunter to turn off his powers, which he opts not to do, even though he does it for Scanner, like literally a few pages later. It makes mm-hmm. no sense. But uh, but whatever. She she tries to do this. And then the artists and colorist of the oh. comic make a mistake that bothered me so much during this era, yeah. which was because she's got brown fur, they've decided that Rain is, I guess, black like, or she has a she has a very dark skin tone, which I mean, I'm all for black superheroes. I am a black person myself. I wish there were more of them. However, Rain is a little white girl from Scotland. She is a piece. Of the, she so it's she's not even supposed to be tan. She is a ginger Scottish girl. She should be allergic to sunlight. <laughs> she should be so pasty and typically was always drawn that way people got in the habit of drawing her dark because for a couple of years preceding this she wasn't able to change back into human she was stuck as Mm -hmm. either wolf or wolf girl she could not become human girl so people like sort of got in their minds that oh she must have brown skin no that was fur much like kurt has you know blue fur she just had brown fur and that era is over and the writer knows that because the writer makes a point of saying, hey, if you turn back, I will turn back. And turning back means that her hair gets combed and her eyeballs come back. <laughs> that, that, that's what it means. Because I'm pretty sure nobody bothered to tell the colorist what was going on. So the letterer had to take up the slack. It was super weird, too, because I was like, did, did we have a different color? And I was like, no, it's still Adrian Lenshock, like, who's been coloring this this whole time, who has not mm-hmm. colored Rain like this in the past. So this was real weird and disruptive to color it like this. I'm I'm guessing because of the because it was, you know, drawn by many hands. And yeah. I, I'm guessing that this was a situation where it was heavily the Marvel the Marvel method. So what I'm guessing happened was a loose script was I mean, a loose plot was written. The panels were drawn. The panels were shipped off to the colorist to color, and then they were sent back to Rabe to script. And somewhere in this process. He decided, oh, I have to make it clear that she is turning human here because Mm. nothing in the art makes that clear. So he wrote that in the script and then sent that off to the letterer. And the letterer is like, okay, even though the colorist didn't know about any of that. So the colorist, I think, probably just doesn't know she's supposed to be human here. That's what I'm guessing has happened. I, I, I mean, hope I mean, so because I'm it's super uncomfortable. No it looks super uncomfortable. And yeah, I did have that mm-hmm. in my notes as well. Thank you for bringing it up. Anyway, um, my final thought briefly, we already talked about it a little bit, was like the Moira email scene. Just because like, we're going to be talking more about this, but the Ben Robb era of Excalibur and some of the things that makes it weird and potentially bad is some of the tonal strangeness of scenes like this, which is an mm. intensely melodramatic scene with some really dark and heavy adult emotions but Mm -hmm. portrayed in the vein of teen melodrama in a way (laughs) that is unsettling like what she's actually saying in this scene is that she's happy that her ex-husband died because he was abusive and then she's saying but sometimes she wishes she had him back despite the abuse because at least she'd be with somebody which these are dark thoughts that like a real woman who's been through this might have but again not presented in a way that is consistent with that level of adult darkness because it plays like a teen girl typing out a melodramatic love letter and boy it's weird it is a weird scene yeah she's also sitting outside in the freezing cold while it snows you know she's got a deadly virus or she probably has a temperature 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what got what got me about it though? I because this is what I thought Anna was gonna put bring up and then the moral is i'm glad they're dead because someone will welcome me in heaven mm. yeah. yeah that's dark i mean but uh, i mean i was like i guess that's kind of a thing that someone going through this kind of trauma might feel like i don't want to be alone and at least i'll be when i die at least i'll be with my family Oof. but oh my god is that dark yeah, yeah. but hmm. not in an interesting way <laughs> I get it. You know, I, 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 th- I think that that's at least somewhere where I think Ben Rabe was was going for something. I think I think there was an attempt to, like, do some story and do some pathos there. And it came off as very overdone and not. Yeah, I think it's a mess, but I think it's I, I appreciate the swing on that one more so than i don't appreciate the swing on it but anyway (laughs) fair (laughs) going to adam to to, to... (laughs) come on (laughs) after all the griping we did this comic (laughs) (laughs) um adam any final thoughts that you would like to introduce to to wrap up our discussion of this comic anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about anything you want to circle back to uh i did want to ask about nightcrawler um trying to teleport into a place that he hasn't seen because can he not do that and he tries to do it when he gets to the to the the little like lost hatch that right he can he chooses not to because it's dangerous but right he, but why why does he it. try it like he doesn't he know what he's peter. teleporting into he could die like, peter fell in a hole adam have you no compassion because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a bad book that's why <laughs> yeah yeah it's really bad uh did, 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 oh i did want to bring up uh some fire starter fun facts because i i it's been a while since i've listened to this song and i was looking up like stupid things about the the song and the album but i never knew that the the, the guitar riff in firestarter is sampled from the breeders so that was one thing that i learned so kim deal actually gets a songwriting credit on firestarter and the other thing that i i appreciated was that um i was looking at all of the bands that have covered firestarter and one of them is an artist named christina esfandiari who sometimes uses the aka of nightcrawler which i thought was that is a fun fact that's my fun fact thank you for that um (laughs) you're not gonna like what i'm ending on because it was introduced prior to recording that you are not a fan of this artist but instead of spotlighting a letter from the sword strokes letters page i am just going to point out that we get a tease in the letters page to the introduction of new regular artist salvador la roca who's going to be joining us for the next little while and um Mm -hmm. yeah we're gonna have thoughts about his art when we when we come to it but for the record adam not a fan apparently no no i am not but uh, I did hear some pro LaRocca from the team. So I um, I won't be on the next strong. episode. Will, so that, you don't have to listen to me complain about it. I wouldn't say it's a strong pro LaRocca. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 think he's, I think he's a serviceable artist. I think he's um I think he deserves a shot. I think he's got a style that is interesting and that is not haphazard and random as some of the other people that we've had. I mean, again, this is a, it's hard for me to like diss any artist who's following up an issue that's drawn by many hands. Like he, he's got a definitive style that is all his own i mean it's you know he's got derivative pieces but i mean but he's got a very definite look to him that we'll talk about next issue and it is not hey this page was drawn by a different person than the last page (laughs) which is what is happened happens in this issue for all my griping it is definitely an improvement over this issue so you've got that that's for sure I have got four amazing comic scholars lined up for the next four episodes to talk about an arc 
by Ben Robb, penciled by Salvador LaRocca, starring the Crimson Dawn. I don't know how I pulled this off, but uh, <laughs> it's going to be a fun time. Stay tuned. What must I do now? Kill them? I can tell you nothing. My days are ending. The gods of once are gone. Forever. It's a time for men. It's your time. I need you now. More than ever. No. This is the moment that you must face at last. To be king alone. And you, old friend? Will I see you again? No. <laughs> there are other worlds. This one is done with me. And we will wrap things up there. Other than to say, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and yeah, you need to remind our lovely listeners of all the stuff you get up to. Where are you saying you're available these days? Um, so for Battle of the Atom listeners, you're actually listening to this episode probably while Zach and I are on vacation. So that's cool. But we will be back. I think our next episode is all about iBoy. So stay tuned for that. Um, and we have lots more uh, uh, you know episodes coming on whatever podcast of choice um you can always follow on instagram at uh, adam.rec whatever the hell twitter is now at arthur stacy <laughs> and i i've been really enjoying using blue sky um so you can find me there at adam Rec too wait that made it sound like there's a number two at the end you can find me on blue sky <laughs> at adam Rec. Uh, and, uh, that's, that's where you can find me. And, um, Anna, you'll be able to find me like at your house in a couple days. So, you know, that'll be fun. Oh, yes, it certainly will. And I want to make it really clear that I am not stealing Adam away from his own podcast. Um, not going to be Yoko Ono, Yoko Onoing <laughs> the Battle of the Adam podcast. He will be back on his own podcast, but in the meantime, you might get this little bonus Adam Wreck as a villain. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, thanks so much, Adam. It was so fun as always. Thank you for having me. Mav, I appreciate yeah. you uh, letting me jump in here. It, it, it was fun. Next, the Robissance gains a new recruit in, as we just discussed, new regular penciler, Salvador La Roca, um, who I think I said in a previous issue would be penciling this issue. I was wrong. Anyway, we have got some great guests lined up, as I said, who are going to discuss Laroga's very ambitious art with us. Really looking forward to some in-depth discussions about inset panels. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out the fabulous YouTube videos we've done for many of our earlier episodes, which you can find via our YouTube channel or the Vox Podcast YouTube channel. We don't have a YouTube channel via our website. Really losing it at this point in the podcast. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, we hardly have any spots left, so I'm not super open to pitches, but maybe you'll blow me away. I'm still open to it. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com, where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter at goshgollywow, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week, and more fun extras. Will you find us on another social platform at some point? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Thank you, Mav, for not chaperoning this podcast that definitely wasn't a stealth date. Thank you, Adam, for this lovely stealth date. Thank you all for listening, and a special thanks to Maximilian of Thought Forum Music for a truly epic theme song. Play us out. We were talking about messing up things up on the most recent edit. I called myself Hannah. 
<laughs> 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 Look how tired I am. Wow. Yeah. <laughs>